Chapter 5, Cardiology. Topic 2, Myocardial Infarction. Let's start with the risk factors for myocardial infarction, which mirror those for coronary artery disease. These include high blood pressure, elevated cholesterol levels, smoking, a family history of heart disease, obesity, diabetes, and a sedentary lifestyle. So what exactly happens inside the body during a myocardial infarction? The culprit is often the rupture of an atherosclerotic plaque in a coronary artery. This rupture leads to a complete 100% occlusion of the artery. Classic symptoms include substernal chest pain that feels like pressure and may radiate to the neck and left arm. This pain typically lasts longer than 20 minutes and is not relieved by rest or nitroglycerin. Additional symptoms include excessive sweating, a sense of impending doom, nausea, vomiting, and shortness of breath. You may also find elevated jugular venous pressure and hear crackles on auscultation of the lungs. It's essential to note that the elderly, women, and diabetics might experience atypical symptoms, making it all the more challenging for accurate and timely diagnosis. After discussing the signs and symptoms, it's crucial to delve into diagnostics. The first test often performed is a blood test to check for elevated levels of cardiac markers, particularly troponin and CKMB. The cornerstone of myocardial infarction diagnostics, however, is the electrocardiogram. In myocardial infarction, you'll often see ST elevation in contiguous leads. This elevation can even help point to the location of the artery that's blocked. For instance, ST elevation in leads 2, 3, and AVF suggests a right coronary artery occlusion affecting the inferior or posterior wall of the heart. Similarly, elevation in leads 1, AVL, V5, and V6 could point to a left circumflex artery occlusion affecting the lateral wall. An EKG can also show new left bundle branch block, which is another red flag for a possible STEMI. Cardiac catheterization is another diagnostic tool that provides invaluable information and can lead directly to treatment interventions. The gold standard for management is revascularization through percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI. This procedure should ideally be performed within 90 minutes of arrival at a PCI-capable facility. If transferred from a non-PCI-capable facility, the door-to-balloon time should be less than 120 minutes. In cases where PCI isn't feasible within these time frames, antifibrinolytics like tissue plasminogen activator, TPA, may be used as an alternative to dissolve the clot. As far as medical therapy goes, several classes of medications have shown to reduce mortality in STEMI patients. Dual antiplatelet therapy, usually consisting of aspirin plus clopidogrel, is initiated to prevent further platelet aggregation and clot formation. If coronary angioplasty or stenting is planned, then ticagrelor or prasugrel may offer better outcomes. Beta blockers like metoprolol or carvedilol are used to prolong diastole, allowing more time for the coronary arteries to fill with blood. High-intensity statins such as atorvastatin or rosuvastatin lower LDL cholesterol and stabilize plaques. ACE inhibitors or ARBs are also given to decrease afterload and improve systolic function of the heart. After experiencing a STEMI, patients are at risk for a variety of complications, some of which can be life-threatening, from arrhythmias and hypotension to pericarditis and mechanical failures within the heart. Each complication presents its own set of challenges for both diagnosis and treatment. First, arrhythmias. Arrhythmias are a common complication. Among these, ventricular fibrillation stands out as the most frequent cause of death following a myocardial infarction. It often occurs within the first 24 hours and requires immediate intervention. Treatment typically involves defibrillation and the administration of medications like amiodarone. On the flip side, bradycardia can also occur. 
This is usually due to a sinus node infarction, often secondary to a right coronary artery occlusion. In such cases, atropine or temporary cardiac pacing is often employed as a treatment strategy. Hypotension is another complication that may arise, particularly after a right ventricular infarction. In these cases, patients may present with hypotension, elevated jugular venous pressure, and clear lungs on examination. The first line of management involves aggressive intravenous fluid resuscitation to increase the preload. If the condition doesn't improve with fluids, inotropic agents such as dobutamine, dopamine, or milrinone may be used. Pericarditis can also occur post-MI. Acute pericarditis usually manifests within two to five days following the myocardial infarction and is characterized by pain that improves when sitting up and worsens when lying down. Treatment commonly involves acetaminophen or aspirin, but it's important to avoid other non-steroidals in the first seven to ten days following an MI. On the other hand, Dressler syndrome is a delayed pericardial complication, typically manifesting several weeks post-MI. It's an autoimmune reaction and is generally treated with non-steroidals and possibly colchicine. Mechanical complications can be particularly severe and usually develop within three to seven days following the myocardial infarction. Septal rupture, which leads to a ventricular septal defect, requires urgent surgical repair. Papillary muscle rupture commonly involves the mitral valve and results in acute mitral regurgitation and pulmonary edema, also necessitating urgent surgical intervention. Free wall rupture is another severe mechanical complication where the weakened wall of the infarcted myocardium ruptures. This is a dire emergency that requires immediate pericardiosynthesis and surgical repair. We will conclude this section by differentiating angina, non-ST elevation myocardial infarction, and STEMI. In stable angina, the chest pain typically occurs only during periods of exertion, like exercise, and is generally predictable. The key diagnostic markers for stable angina are both a negative troponin level and a negative ST elevation on the EKG. These negative results indicate that there's no myocardial damage. In unstable angina, the chest pain often worsens compared to previous episodes, and patients may find that they experience pain with less exertion than before. In terms of diagnostics, both the troponin level and ST elevation are negative, similar to stable angina. Non-ST elevation myocardial infarction, NSTEMI, presents with persistent and unrelenting chest pain that is not relieved by rest or nitroglycerin. A crucial difference between NSTEMI and the anginas is that the troponin level will be positive, confirming that there is myocardial damage. However, ST elevation will be negative on the EKG, setting it apart from STEMI. Finally, we have ST elevation myocardial infarction, or STEMI. This is a critical medical emergency. Like NSTEMI, the chest pain in STEMI is persistent and unrelenting and is not alleviated by rest or nitroglycerin. The troponin level will be positive, signifying myocardial injury. But what sets STEMI apart is the positive ST elevation seen on the EKG. This indicates a complete blockage of a coronary artery with transmural damage, making immediate medical intervention absolutely crucial.